Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The only thing necessary for evil to prevail is that good men and women do nothing. I am simply a mouthpiece for good people from around the world who want to make a difference. Engagement and the involvement of ordinary people is what is going to change our criminal justice system. Many have tried and failed. The only difference between them and me is I'm bringing an army with me. This is Truth and Justice. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode, and I'm your host, Bob Ruff. And I'm your co-host, Mike Blessing. And this Friday follow-up is going to be a little bit different than most. And that's because I won't be here next week after you all listen to episode 324, Kenneth Ray Williams. Today, the day we're recording this, happens to be my anniversary. It's been four years that I've been married to my amazing wife, Becky, And for our anniversary, we are going to the same resort we went to on our honeymoon. So I will be out of the country next week. So Mike and I are right now about to record this Friday follow-up before episode 324 drops. So Mike, you want to give him a little bit of insight into how we did this? Well, usually what we do, obviously, is we have a little more prep time for the follow-ups. And we go through social media and we get listener emails and voicemails and things like that to use on the show. Right, and this week, since we had to record this before you all get to hear the show and ask your questions, I intentionally kept Mike in the dark about the episode. I did all my research by myself and recorded it, and then as Mike was editing, he wrote down questions that he had, and hopefully anticipating questions that you all will have. So we've got a few questions that Mike has about the episode that we're going to do in segment one, and then we're going to take a break for the ads. And then in segment two, we're going to talk about a hypothetical theory as to what Kiao's attack might look like if Kenneth Ray Williams is our suspect. So Mike, if you're ready, let's go ahead and jump right into segment one. All right, let's do it. first question I had was why there were three sexual assault charges for Kenneth Ray Williams when there was clearly only one sexual assault. That's a really good question, and I don't exactly have the answer for that, but understand that I found the three charges when I was looking at his arrest record. So it almost sounds like or looks like the Dallas Police Department or when he was arrested just started, and, and this will happen a lot. They'll just kind of start throwing charges against the wall and see what sticks. Okay. Um, and so the fact that there was uh, two other women down in the parking garage with him who were scared, and I think he had hit one of the women. Uh, it was a little unclear which was which. That they tried to charge him with either sexual assault or attempted sexual assault on all three. Uh, and then eventually that gets whittled down by the time they go to trial when he's indicted for just the sexual assault on the one. 
So that's the best answer I have. I do know that all three sexual assault charges were this offense. Same date, same time, all that. It's just that, but once he went to trial, there was just the one charge. I guess that makes sense. You know, what I was thinking was something like intent. Like he was attempting to rape all three, and there was evidence of that. Yeah, that could be. I mean, I'm not, I don't know for certain either, but that's definitely, I think that uh, one of the people, it was either Paul or Jill that were helping do the research, uh, had the same thought that maybe there was, you know, his intent was to rape all three, or again, that it would be like attempted. I, I really don't have the answer to that. Uh, but what we do know for certain is that there was only one sexual assault. Okay, and the next question I have is, with Kenneth Ray Williams as a suspect, do Kiel's wounds match up with her having only one attacker? I know we've talked about her wounds and multiple attackers so many times in the past, but with Kenneth Ray Williams being the only attacker, it seems a little unlikely. Yeah, I agree. And of course, you and I have done so many tests on the stab wounds, and we've done wound diagrams, and we've even made models. It really does not seem likely to me that any one person inflicted all these wounds. And unfortunately, even though we have an extensive criminal history with Kenneth Ray Williams to look back on, we don't have any incidents with him that, where we can compare his behavior as far as how he attacks someone. Right. He is always, all of his assaults or crimes, all involved intimidation. Did you notice that when we were going through the record? Yeah, in these crimes, he had a weapon, he had a knife with him, but he never used it. Right, he's never, the only weapon he has ever actually used was the rock and the cloth in his pocket, where he hit somebody with that. But even this sexual assault, it was fists. I mean, he he slapped, I think, one of the women, held his fist out. There's been two incidents that we know of where he had a knife and threatened with a knife, but we don't have any incidents where he actually used the knife. Uh, we also don't know if he is right or left-handed. I mean, there's a lot of factors that come into play here. Yeah, definitely. Oh, and speaking of behavior, what do you make of his nephew and his brother saying that he sleeps in? I certainly don't get the feeling when you read the reports from his sister-in-law, for sure, or really even his brother or, you know, Christopher, his nephew, started to get a little defensive after a while. But I didn't get the opinion that they were trying to protect him, not by any means. I mean, the reason the Crime Stoppers tip came in, the second one, was because the sister-in-law was saying something at the party to strangers, not strangers, but, you know, people she knew. Right. And saying that, that she thought that he had done it. That's That's how that whole conversation got started. So I don't think that they're trying to cover for him. And we have said from the very beginning, uh, you and I have, right from the, from the first day we looked at this case, who the hell commits an assault like this at 730 in the morning? Yeah. You know, it's just such an odd time. Uh, and that's, you know, when we found out later that summer school is in session and the students arrive around 730 and the bell rings at 750, all of a sudden that time started to make more sense. But if we throw that out and we're looking at just a grown adult who lives in the neighborhood... All of a sudden, 7.30 is a weird time again, and you got two members of the family who are either you know lying about when Kenneth Ray Williams woke up in the morning or if he stayed out all night, or if they're telling the truth, then it gives us a problem because they're both saying that his pattern of behavior, they didn't say he was out all night or anything. They said he was always still asleep when they got up and left the house in the morning, you know, at 7, 7.30 or whatever. He was still sleeping at all times. That behavior is significant when we compare it to the facts of the case, the evidence that we have on the crime scene. Also, it seemed to me that his family knew that he was kind of a bad guy. Did, yeah. you, did you get that impression at all? Oh, I don't see how they couldn't know. Right, right. I, and, and it brings into question with one or maybe two of the Crime Stoppers tips, uh, you can clarify this, that his family members called them in on him. That's not, so th there was some confusion about that. 
so the first tip, and I think I figured this out after we recorded the episode. Okay. So Christopher, his nephew, mm-hmm. is not the one that called in that tip. From what I could understand, the Crime Stoppers tip regarding Kenneth Ray Williams, the very first one, to me read as someone else called in and said they heard Christopher say that his uncle did it. Oh, okay. I misinterpreted that one because I thought that it was actually Christopher himself that called in the tip. I did too at first. And then when you read him saying, well, I never said that, I never said that, uh, and then kind of read through, we're missing that actual tip. We don't have that in the police report. Right. Um, but the way I interpreted it is someone else called and said Christopher was talking about his uncle who had done it. They went and talked to Christopher, and he said, no, I never said that. Mm-hmm. But then you do have that little note in the report where you see Amos, who is Kenneth Ray Williams' brother, who says that, and it was redacted from the report, but that his daughter accused Kenneth of doing something to her. And then you almost see that little bit of him trying to explain it away, like that, you know, he said, well, but she had also just stolen some of his checks, so right. I, I don't know who to believe. I don't know what that redacted was, you know, if it was some kind of sexual assault or, I mean, that's that's what you know, where my mind went, but that doesn't mean that's what it was. But I tell you what, if my daughter came to me and said my brother had molested her, I'm going to believe my daughter. You know, I, right. mean, I mean, I love my brothers, but that's not something I mess around with. So I thought that I found that to be a little strange. But then again, we do have to remember that we don't know that that's what she was saying. Yeah, uh, It could have been something you know, that he beat her up or punched her or yelled at her or whatever. We don't know the answer to that. So back to that Crime Stoppers tip, that would explain why Christopher Williams didn't have any information for Royster. Yeah, so it wasn't like he called the Crime Stoppers tip in and then changed his mind. Right. It sounds to me like somebody else called it in. They talked to him, and then he denied it. Sure. So now let's back it up to that last Crime Stoppers tip we were talking about. Do you think that one was called in by his family? It's hard to say because there was that part of that Crime Stoppers tip where it said that he had molested several members of his family. Right. And, and you know, your mind kind of goes to, well, this is someone in his family. But that's not necessarily true. Kenneth Ray Williams lived with his brother and sister and nephew and niece, I guess, for a short period of time in 91. But he lived all over the place. Obviously, he was never, from what I can find, ever gainfully employed. I mean, he just robbed people and used the money to buy drugs. So that could have been anyone. But the interesting part is when that Crime Stoppers tip came in, that was on the anniversary of Kiao's death, so July 25th, 1995, when that tip came in, Kenneth Ray Williams was already in prison. The sexual assault that put him away for 35 years occurred on March 30th, 1995. And if you remember back to that report, he was arrested right then. I mean, the police literally came down into the parking garage in the middle of the assault and arrested him. Yeah. So w- one of the things that I found so intriguing about that Crime Stoppers tip that was suppressed was it's four months after he is caught and arrested for that. He's awaiting trial. He's in jail. And so point being, he's not out bothering anyone. Right. It says a lot about the caller. Mm-hmm. And we can exclude somebody trying to call in a fake tip to get back at him. Yeah, 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 I definitely think we can exclude that because he's already he's already in jail. He's already in jail, yeah. So then we start thinking about, well, what does if, you know, I, I just started watching Jim Clemente's new show, the uh, it was Jim Fitzgerald, the Manhunt Unabomber, mm-hmm. you know, and it, it's really getting into this forensic linguistics and it's fascinating to me. And so I keep going back to that Crime Stoppers tip and looking at what they said. So now this isn't a transcription, so it's not the exact words of the caller. This is what the officer wrote down into the report. 
But so it starts off and says, an informant reports that suspect Kenneth Ray Williams, a.k.a. Pete, is responsible for the murder of the pastry cook. So what does that tell us? Well, first of all, let's look at Pete. Where did Pete come from? I would assume that Pete came from the police themselves because they have that name in their reports as one of his aliases. Right. But it could have come from the caller. So that would indicate, if it came from the caller, that maybe that's someone who is close to him, uh, close enough to know that he goes by Pete. Yeah. But then also you note here, it says in informant reports that suspect Kenneth Williams, a.k.a. Pete, is responsible for the murder. It's an interesting tip. It's the only tip we have that doesn't read Jesse Eldridge could have been responsible because of da-da-da-da-da, or so-and-so did this and this, so they could have been responsible. I heard Ronnie Blackwell talking about the murder to someone else. It seems like he knows something. He could be responsible. This is literally the only Crime Stoppers tip that we have that says, and I'll, I'll read it again, an informant reports that suspect Kenneth Williams, a.k.a. Pete, is responsible for the murder of the pastry cook. So that's pretty definite. Whatever this person said to the officer taking this note, they were certain that this person did do it. Now, it says later they weren't able to articulate exactly how they knew this, but they said it was him. They had information that it was him. Now, what does that mean as far as the validity of the tip? You have someone calling in and saying this person did it, and we again, we don't know what that recording sounds like or what the call, what exactly they were saying, but they're basically saying, look, I can't tell you, man, but he did it. Could it be someone that was an accomplice? Could it be someone that certainly has firsthand knowledge if the, if the tip is true? Uh, they don't want to get into details, but they're assuming maybe that if they really take a hard look at him and maybe run fingerprints, DNA, whatever, that they'll be able to prove that he did it. And, and so I would say this is likely someone who's not real comfortable talking to the police. Right. Maybe someone with a record. They don't want to get into, you know, it really goes against the criminal mindset to snitch. Yeah. Right. Not something that's normally done. And, and again, I, I should put a preference on this, and I think I already did, but just in case I hadn't. Like, this is just me spitballing, really, as we're talking, having this conversation. So, you know, you can take all of this with a grain of salt. But this is my interpretation. So I'm thinking maybe somebody with a bit of a criminal record. But then also notice it says, is responsible for the murder of the pastry cook, Spruce High School. Which is pretty specific. Very specific. Yeah. Didn't say Kiao Gove. Didn't say the woman that was killed on September. This person knows her as the pastry cook. So in my opinion, this person that called him this tip was a student in 1991. See, I took that as maybe that was somebody who didn't have all the information. Because by then, you would think that, you know, in the news reports or even in the newspaper, that they would probably say that she was a pastry chef. You might think that, but really think it through. So remember, this is four years after the murder. When the murder first occurred, they said the woman, Kiao Go, who was the pastry chef at Spruce High School, was found dead on the grounds. The publicity after that, and I'm sure it was mentioned in a newspaper article here and there, but the sign on Kenneth Gove's car said, Who Killed Kiao Gove? And we just hit pause and Mike grabbed for me the two posters that came in our open records request. So this is the poster that was put up by the Dallas Police Department, and I'll read it verbatim. Detective K.W. Royster of the Dallas Police Department Homicide Unit is investigating the murder of Kiao Gove. On July 25, 1991, at about 7 a.m., Miss Gove was walking near H. Grady Spruce High School when she was stabbed and killed. Miss Gove was known to have started her day with a mile-long walk around H. Grady Spruce High School. 
On this date, three black males and one white male were seen pulling Miss Gove into a white or gray Z-28 Camaro. During this time, Miss Gove was struggling to free herself. After she was forced into the car, they drove off. The Dallas Police Department Crime Stoppers Unit will pay up to $1,000 for information that leads to the arrest and indictment of the killers. In addition, there is also a $10,000 reward for the information leading to those suspects responsible for Miss Gove's death. Then it goes on to give you the phone number. So point being here, her name is mentioned several times. Right, gotcha. Nothing in this flyer about the fact that she's a pastry chef. And, and I'm going somewhere with this, so let me also read the flyer here, the one Kenneth Gove made thousands of and put all over town. $10,000 reward is being offered for information leading to the arrest and conviction of a suspect or suspects in the slaying of a Pleasant Grove resident on July 25, 1991. Mrs. Kiao Gove was found about 7.30 a.m. lying near a walking track on the grounds of H. Grady Spruce High School in Pleasant Grove. She had been stabbed numerous times in her chest and back. Mrs. Gove was a pastry cook at Spruce for 12 years. Anyone with information on slaying can remain anonymous and call Dallas police at, and it gives the phone number for Crime Stoppers. The last line reads, think hard about who may have had a reason to kill her. Someone knows who killed her. So here you do have the mention of the fact that she's a pastry cook. Right. But you also have her name in there. And then all of the newspaper reports after Jesse was arrested all have her name all over them. Sure. You know, so if, so if someone was to look at all these flyers and to look at those newspaper reports, certainly might come out that she's a pastry chef, but her name is over and over and over and over again. Uh, so the fact that someone that doesn't remember what they've read or seen in flyers, maybe, but what they remember is their experience. Experiences are easy to remember. I feel like it's more likely, and it's a guess, it's just my educated, estimated guess, uh, would be that it's someone who had the experience of seeing her as the pastry chef, and that's how that was concreted into their mind. Not that it was Kiao Gove, Mrs. Gove, or whatever any of these say. It was the woman that they remembered as being the pastry chef. Right. Now, getting back to the question you asked earlier, Someone who was going to Spruce High School at about that time was Christopher Williams. So that's possible. So the tip goes on to say the informant did not observe the murder and was very unclear how the informant came by the information. Then it says the informant stated that the suspect has molested several members of his family. Now this sentence leaves us with a lot of questions. So it says the suspect has molested several members of his family. Right. Whose family? Kenneth Ray Williams' family or the caller's family? That's a really good question, Bob. I took it as the caller's family. I did too. Yeah. But then as I'm reading it again, could it be, so imagine this is, so say this is someone outside the family mm -hmm. saying Kenneth Ray Williams has molested a bunch of members of Kenneth Ray Williams' own family. Maybe it's a friend of the family. Right. You know, and knows that. Or Kenneth Ray Williams has molested a lot of members of my family. Mm -hmm. So that statement could point to either one of those things. It's poorly written. Uh, the pronouns that they chose to use when they wrote this out. But certainly it means this person has some kind of a connection with Kenneth Ray Williams. So if it is several members of his, meaning the caller's family, well, that would, I would assume, mean that Kenneth Ray Williams, the Williams family, are personal friends, if not relatives. Because how would he have access to so many members of their family unless they were close? If it was the fact that Kenneth Ray Williams sexually assaulted members of his own family, and this person is not part of that family, again, it would have to be someone who is a close family friend uh, or is close to someone in the Williams family to have that information. Because Williams has not been convicted ever of sexual assault with a minor. That's never happened. It's right. ne he's never been convicted of it. 
So if someone has knowledge that that happened, it's firsthand knowledge, something that went unreported. Sure. So this caller is certainly close to the Williams family, but not too close because of the last sentence. The last sentence says the suspect is reported to live at 3830 South and then whatever address in Oak Cliff, Texas. Now, what we know is that Kenneth Ray Williams wasn't living there. Remember, he had been incarcerated for four months. Just to clear this up, that is not the same address he lived at on Mill Valley Lane, is it? Right, exactly. So this address is in Oak Cliff. It's a completely different town, another suburb of Dallas. Okay. One of the tips gave the exact address of the Williams household on Mill Valley. Yeah. Uh, but this one is saying that he's the suspect is reported to live down in Oak Cliff. So that's significant for a couple of reasons. One, this person does not know that Kenneth Ray Williams was arrested four months before and was awaiting a trial for a 35-year felony. Yeah. But, you know, that could be a member of his own family. But it would seem unlikely that they wouldn't know. I mean, it's, it seems like he goes to Big Brother to bail him out when he gets into trouble. So you would think that Big Brother would have a call here and, and know that something's happening. Mm-hmm. And probably his son would know, too. Now, remember, now Christopher is an older. He's not just a child anymore like he was at the beginning of this in 91. Now this is 1995. But to me, this means, one, this person isn't real close to Kenneth Ray Williams because he doesn't know that he's been locked up for the last five months, four months. And so that also tells us something triggered this person. The fact that this was called in on the anniversary date is huge to me when we when we put all this together. I mean, it could be a fluke. It could be a lot of things. But when you consider the fact that we know from this tip that this individual has not seen Kenneth Ray Williams for four months, minimum. He has not been bothered by Kenneth Ray Williams for four months, minimum. He has no bone to pick with Kenneth Ray Williams for the last four months, minimum. And then on the anniversary of the death of Kiao Gove, this person decides to call Crime Stoppers and say he did it. To me, that is guilt. It's remorse. This person, I believe, absolutely does know who killed them, or at least thinks he knows. I mean, Kenneth Ray Williams may not be our killer, but this person sure as shit thinks that he was the killer. Right. And I think really quick, you mentioned from your notes that a lot of people in the neighborhood thought that he was the killer, right? Just to clarify that. Yeah, Kenneth Gove said that that was the rumor going around. Right, okay. My thought is that this could easily be just like a you know a random thug trying to collect some money. You know, somebody that saw that exact poster that you read earlier. So you know the terms pastry chefs in it. Sure. And, and what you're saying is a hundred percent possible. And mm-hmm. I want I don't want to make sure I point that out. Like I'm giving I'm breaking down, and as I, we've hit pause a couple of times here, uh, but this is not something that was prepared. No. I mean, we're doing this on the fly. I'm, right. I'm looking at this, kind of breaking it down. Uh, but so, yeah, that could absolutely be true. But what is, again, important to note, the timeline makes all the difference in the world. Sure. Is the fact that Jesse Eldridge was arrested for this crime in October of 1994. Once he was arrested for the crime, the sign was off Kenneth Gove's car. The papers that he was putting all over the place saying $10,000 reward, those are gone, washed away. He talked about in some of his interviews in a trial, how he had constantly had to go back out and put them back up all over the place. Well, these, he's done doing that. The person is caught. Dallas PD spending money and putting flyers out, offering a crime stopper's tip for the arrest or indictment. At this point, Jesse Eldridge had already been arrested and indicted. Right. So these flyers for the reward aren't out there anymore. Mm -hmm. 
the fact that someone would call in just trying to get a quick buck or or to get the reward, I don't think that's possible. And and you don't see here, which we do see in a lot of the other tips, where you see people calling in and says they're interested in the reward. We saw that on a few tips that we read yesterday. Or maybe it's in the ones I'm reading for next week. But I've read that in a few of the tips. It says that, that they're interested in the reward money. Uh, this person doesn't. So he just, this person calls in uh, at four in the afternoon on the anniversary of Kiao's death and just says, Kenneth Williams, a.k.a. Pete, is responsible for the murder of the pastry chef. That's it. We don't even know if they're expecting a reward or what's going on. That's a lot of hurdles to get past to try to claim that this tip is unreliable. I mean, you could tell the cops don't want to see this. Right. And I'm not even picking on Watts or Dallas PD. Watts didn't handle this. Some whoever took the call did. But when you have a case board, so like if you're in Dallas or Baltimore or Chicago and you're in the homicide division, you have a freaking case board of all these. Uh, Michael A. Wood, when I interviewed him, was explaining to me that they would write them out. And I, remember, I think they were written in black and then they, they crossed them out red when they were closed. And they have this list of all these cases that they have to get closed. They got to keep their numbers up. You know, there's, there's, it's political in these big cities to close these murder cases. So if they have one that's crossed out, that they have the killer in custody, and then somebody calls and says, hey, you got the wrong guy, and you're just a few months away from trial with a different person, nobody wants to hear that. And right. You, and you can see that in here. The informant did not observe the murder. It was very unclear how the informant came by the information. You don't read that in any of the other Crime Stoppers tips. You don't see the, the the writer of the report. Almost like downplaying it. Yeah, or putting their opinion in it at all. Right. The reports just read, this person called, they said dot, 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 dot. This person's like, yeah, they said this, but, you know, they, they're really unclear. And, and then at the bottom it says, informant was not able to articulate how this related to the death of the above listed complaint, meaning the child molestation. Uh, so the report writer is putting in their opinion as to the validity of this report. They shouldn't do that, number one. I used to teach, you know, you've taken the classes. I used to teach how to write reports, mm -hmm. official government reports like this. You never put your opinion in them. He had no business doing that. All he needed to do in here was put down the facts. This is what the person said. And then a detective should have followed up on it, and we have no record anywhere that they ever did. But in my opinion, the person that wrote this Crime Stoppers tip is someone that was a student at Grady Spruce High School in the school year that ended in 1991. Because I think they have experience seeing Kiao Gove working as the pastry chef. And that's an experience they're recalling here. That's how they knew her. I think this person has a direct connection one way or another to the Williams family. I don't necessarily think it's a member of the Williams family. And I think that this person believes that Kenneth Ray Williams is a killer. I'm not saying that means he is. But this person absolutely, I don't think they were motivated by reward money. They believe that he was the killer. And for some reason, this person has guilt. This you, you think think of significant things in your life when bad things have happened. You know, for an example for me is my uncle died at a very young age. My uncle Brian died on September 9th, nineteen ninety, at thirty three years old. Every year on September 9th, I take some time to myself. I usually get a bottle of whiskey. I have a I have a, a drink for my uncle Brian. You know, it's it's been all these years later. I usually still shed a couple of tears and, and kind of remember him. Sometimes I'll call my aunt, talk to her a little bit, or my dad. So that experience that I have is something that I kind of equate this to, mm -hmm. right? That this is someone that is, you know, throwing one back on that date because of this event. It was a significant event to them. 
And then so now think about what you were asking. It will go all the way back to when you were asking about the knife wounds as far as could one person have inflicted all those wounds. Well, imagine if this person was Kenneth Ray Williams' accomplice, so to speak, where maybe uh, much like what happened in the case where they threw the two girls out of the car and took their purse, the driver became an accomplice and turned state's evidence against Kenneth Ray Williams. Right. Because he had no intention of being a part of assaulting these women, taking their purse. He's just giving them a ride. You know, so what if this is a similar scenario where he's with somebody doing drugs, doing a drug deal or whatever the case is and makes the attack and the buddy's there with it. And all of a sudden, Williams starts stabbing the woman and kills her and, and maybe even forces this guy or, or pushes this guy into assisting with the attack. These are we're spitballing here. And I know we said we were going to do that after the ad break. So why don't we go ahead and take the ad break here and then we'll get into a little bit more about those theories. Sounds good. All right, Bob, before we close shop for the week and you head off to Mexico, let's talk about Kenneth Ray Williams' likelihood of being the suspect. Okay, well, now with these new open records requests, we have a lot of new information to go on. And again, I want to throw a shout out to Mr. Paul Day, who went to the Dallas County Clerk's Office and pulled out some of these documents for us. What we've learned about Kenneth Ray Williams, like we mentioned earlier, is that he has used a knife in a couple of offenses, but they were always to threaten. He's never actually stabbed anyone that we're aware of. But we have to look at the bigger picture, really look at Kenneth Ray Williams' behavior and try to analyze him as a person. What do we think he's capable of? To me, reading through, and it was awful, and I want to apologize to the listeners. I mean, I'm not sorry I did it, but again, just when I read through the transcript of the sexual assault in the parking garage, it's just so awful to me. I mean, it almost brings me to tears reading it, but it was necessary to get the full picture of exactly what happened Mm -hmm. for me when i'm trying to to look into someone's behavior like that what it tells me is that this man has no respect for i want to say human life but what i can certainly say i think with somewhat of surety he has no respect for females lives it's exactly right that's exactly right i mean go back to the incident with the women in the car Mm -hmm. you know he he tells them and again Trigger warning, sorry for the language, but it's quoting from the transcript. He says, what? You're just going to sell pussy anyway. Pulls a knife out, makes them throw their purses out, and just leaves them to walk. Can we really quick break down his offenses again? Because I know there was the arson charge, too, and I don't think we had too many details on that. Right. The arson one is the only one we don't have a lot of details on. I have a couple police reports, but they're so faded, they're hard to read. And to, to be honest, I'm not even certain if it's that offense. It looked like he was walking around the school and was breaking into uh, buildings in a school and stealing stuff like copper pipe. Uh-huh. Uh, I definitely have a report that says that, but it's really hard to read. And I think that might be the arson offense, but I'm not positive. But yeah, the ones where he, the, the major ones that we know of uh, were the ones where him and his buddy, there's some girls that ask for a ride. He invites them into the car to give them a ride. And then when they get the car, he propositions them and he does, again, trigger warning, but I, but it's important to understand the difference between him, you know, propositioning a woman and saying to them, so are we going to fuck or what? Right. You know, and, and when they say no, he steals their purse and throws them out of the car. Right. You know, so the, again, the, so there's our first indicator and that one was off the top of my head, 1980. Uh, yeah, I think so. Somewhere in 1982. You know, so he's a, tw- I think he was 21 years old when that happened. So at that early age. He, ha- I would love to know what his childhood was like if you really dug into it. And that's getting a little shrinky, I guess. I think that 
I bet he's had problems with women in his life dating back a long ways because he to, at that young age to have that much disregard for women is just very telling to me. And so then we have the arson charge, and then we have uh, the offense with Mr. Mims, which that's the guy that he hit over the head with the rock. Like, that tells me that he, again, really has no respect for any other people, but he's a bully. He's a coward. Okay, so so with the women, it's, I'm going to point a knife at you and make you leave my purse. I'm going to slap you. I'm going to throw a fist at you and show my dominance over you. And and we all know that sexual assault, like what happened in the parking garage, that's all about control and dominance. He feels that he's better than her, above her, and even the method in which he did it is even kind of indicates that more on a psychological level. But when it comes to the man that he had the conflict with, he doesn't trust in his own ability to overpower the man. It's a sneak attack. He's not going fist to cuffs. He's not pushing the guy, getting into his face, and having a, a, a mano a mano fist fight with him. He sneakily pulls a rock that he already had in his pocket wrapped in a rag and swats him over the top of the head with it. Now, didn't he have a knife, too? Yes, and then he threatens him with a knife, and then he takes off. He runs away Mm -hmm. as the guy's starting to get up. So he has a a healthy fear of other grown men, but he, he not only doesn't have a fear of women at all, but he has shown through his behavior that he doesn't even see them as humans. He sees them as people that he can do or as things that he can do whatever he wants to. So now jump to Kiao's case. If he was the offender, take the little bit of behavior that we know about him, right? So him propositioning the girls in the car or the girls down in the parking garage, and he's not getting what he wants. And what does he do? He immediately switches to violence, right? Yeah. Uh, So say he's in those woods propositioning Kiao, Maybe grabs Kiao and and she just wants to get out of there and she's trying to get away. Somehow disrespects him, you know. Maybe says something because this is a woman that you know. It's it's we've heard a lot about her personality, but she works in a school with kids. She has to be able to have some kind of authority to say, "All right, knock your shit off," you right? Know, you yeah. know, she's got to be able to do that. So maybe she's you know he's propositioning her, and, and and again, I guess what we're doing here is we're coming up with a hypothetical scenario if Kenneth Ray Williams is the suspect. Yeah. Based on the little bit we know about him, how could that happen? I could see him being there, propositioning her, her saying something that he feels was disrespectful to him, and then her grabbing her and her trying to get away. Now, if Kenneth Ray Williams is up at 7 in the morning, we know from his family he's not an early riser, which means if he's up at 7 o'clock in the morning or 7.30 in the morning, that means he's been up all night, in my opinion. Sure. You know, I, I don't think he set an alarm and got up to go for a walk. I'm, I'm certain the black male that Rosie Simon saw that regularly walks around there in the mornings is not Kenneth Ray Williams. That was Robert Moffat, I'm sure. But so if he's up at that time, if, if he is the one there, I think he's been up all night, which tells you he's tired. He's drunk. He's high. There, he's not going to be at his best strength. He's not going to be at his best wits. He's not going to be at his best level of intelligence. He's not going to make great decisions. And she is, Kiao is, she's a tough woman. Yeah. I mean, a Nautilus machine that she, that, that she's lifting weights. She lifts weights every morning and then speed walks miles and miles and miles every day. So I don't find it if, if you have, even though Kenneth Ray Williams is much bigger and stronger than her. I don't think it's out of the question that she could wriggle away from him and take off running. Wasn't Kiao also trained in like martial arts? 
you know, now that you say that, I think that did come up in one of the reports. Maybe that wasn't on the podcast that you and I read, or maybe it was in the catchings interview where Kenneth had, somewhere Kenneth had said that she did have some kind of martial arts training. I think yeah. I'm, I'm spitball. I, I, I'm feeling like I remember the same thing you're saying there, yeah. but I'd have to look into that more. But in any case, certainly a drunk or high and bent up all night tired Kenneth Ray Williams attacking her could result in Kiao getting away. So maybe it's that the threatening with a knife, she gets away, he chases her, he finally grabs her, starts to stab her, she gets away again, and she she tries to dart through the fence. So look at where her body was found. So I think the police really, they didn't say it in the reports, but I feel like they really thought that they were looking at her being dragged into that place. But so if she is way over there, right, and she's trying to get to safety, so she's on September Road, someone's chasing her. She's going to want to get to safety as soon as possible. Well, her house is all the way around the fence. On the other side of the street, all those houses have fences up along them. And so the fastest route to safety would be to dart through that gap in the fence and run straight to the high school because she just saw all those people that she knew, all those workers that she worked with at the high school. So she takes off and she heads that way. So I think that it was very likely, regardless of who the, the, the offender is, she's trying to escape towards the high school, towards people, to find a safe place to get out of this situation she's in. And I think it's very likely that that's about where she got caught. Remember, one of her hairs was found on the fence post of the gap in the fence there. Well, yep. your, your hairs don't just fall out. I mean, they do, I guess. But the likelihood of that, to me, is more likely that someone chasing behind her, maybe, grabbed her by the hair right there. It's also up high. We can't see it in the picture, but we have the picture that was taken of the hair. I think it's important to note that it was on the top of the four-foot fence post. So she didn't crawl through that fence. She wasn't, she was, you know, her head was up at normal level probably in order to get there. But I could totally see somebody behind her reaching and grabbing her by the hair. They come out with one or some of her hairs and then their hand hits the fence post as they go through. Um, and that's how that hair could have gotten there. I can definitely see a scenario where Kenneth Ray Williams does it, but I still have a problem with the wound patterns. I still believe that there was more than one knife involved. So that leads us back to this Crime Stoppers tip we discussed in segment one today. What if the person that made that tip is an accomplice? Is the in the in the situation with the girls in the car? What if that person is Larry? Who Larry was his actual name? I think was Gary was the driver of the car that Kenneth Williams, a.k.a. Pete, just started calling him Larry. He became an accomplice to a crime without having intended to. But, you know, my initial analysis of those stab wounds, remember, were, you know, the ones in the back seemed they were coming from different directions. They were they were not as deep. There was, like, hesitation we were seeing, mm-hmm. as opposed to the ones from the front were deep, penetrating wounds. I mean, I mean knife wounds that are chipping pieces of her sternum away. They're hitting her so hard. Um, now that could just be because she was, you know, crawling away when she got stabbed on the back, and then she was laying flat on her back when she got stabbed in the chest. But maybe we were right back then, and maybe there's two: someone was hesitant, and someone else was not so hesitant. I definitely think it's very likely that the person calling the crime stoppers tip, if Kenneth Ray Williams is our suspect, if he's our guy, I think it's likely that the person that called him that tip is an accomplice. Truth and Justice is a production of NBI Studios. Michael Bussing is our executive producer. All music for the show is created by PutThemInASong.com. 
want to thank Amanda Meyer for designing and creating our Friday follow-up logo. Thank you to Chris Brinkley of sylviaconsultants.com for designing, managing, and maintaining our website. Thank you to our transcription team, Britta, Stephanie, Tammy, and Sarah. And a big thank you to Desiree Dunn for printing the transcripts and mailing them to Jesse. As always, I want to thank all of you for all of your engagement and support. Keep sending your thoughts, theories, and ideas to theories at truthandjusticepod.com. And as season three is coming to a conclusion, which is going to happen in the next several weeks, we're going to be moving on to new cases. So make sure you send your new cases into cases at truthandjusticepod.com. Join in the discussion at the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. You can like our Facebook page or follow us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. Yeah, we called it my snaggle tooth. <laughs> Should we not say that? <laughs> yeah, you made fun of me and called it my <laughs> <laughs> You used to call it my snaggle tooth every day. Every single day. Yeah. It's amazing with just these little invisible liners that it has moved your tooth back to where it doesn't stick out anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's completely so, changed like you're talking the to me look you of my smile. Yeah. Stop sounding radio voice guy. Yeah. Just let's get this done, dude. Yeah, it's completely changed the look of my style. Smile. It was really good though. Let's go with the first one you said, I think. Better. It was, it was just it was so grand, wasn't it? It was. You knocked it out of the park. Thanks, Bob. Go Paul. Go Paul. Go Paul. Go Paul. Oh, were you gonna should we do a slow clap? Let's do a slow clap, ready? Speed it up slowly. Not too, just too fast. Listen, you're still not getting it. Start over. Go, Paul. Go, Paul. Right. There it is. I think I got the rhythm. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Paul. All right, Paul. (laughs) Strange. We needed something for the bloopers. (laughs) You even got into it. You said go, Paul, a couple times. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, it's good stuff. I meant it. I know you did. I did too. Go, Paul. Go, Paul. Right? Yeah. (laughs) All right, here we go.